You know, you heard it in the open, the highlights from last season's LSU-Florida State game in the Bayou. If you get half of that this time around when they meet this weekend under the lights in Florida, you will have seen another phenomenal football game. I'm going to get into that and much more. College football is back. The official week one taking place this weekend as the calendar has also officially flipped to September. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J on this Friday, September 1st, a smidge after 7 p.m. Eastern time on the East Coast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and continuing to subscribe. The subscribership and viewership and listenership continues to go up and up on a weekly basis, and we've got a great show for you this week. Four weeks left in Major League Baseball, and the playoff races are even juicier than they were just seven days ago when I was on the air. you got the U.S. Open and tennis going on, uh, in Queens as we speak. College football, Florida, Utah last night. Florida looked awful. Utah looked complete opposite, perhaps a Final Four contender in this, the final year of the four-team field before the expansion um, to the 12-team field next year. I want to talk about the Ryder Cup picks for the U.S. team specifically. A few question marks, perhaps, depending on uh, what side of the line you choose to toe. And then, obviously, we're gearing up for the start of the NFL season next Thursday, Chiefs-Lions. But I want to start with Major League Baseball. So much has been going on. And before we get into nitty-gritty of what's been taking place in the standings with the jockeying uh, and the moving about north and south in each each division, respectively, you know from earlier in, in, in the week that the Yankees have moved on from Josh Donaldson and then later Harrison Bader. I didn't think that would happen the way it did, but I'm glad it did. Josh Donaldson was was a zero while he was here. I mean, it almost seemed like the Yankees couldn't wait to get rid of Gio Urshela to bring in Josh Donaldson, this legendary home run hitter, and the guy was a complete donut in the batter's box, and it started hurting him in the field as well. So that became problematic. Donaldson's gone. Recently signed earlier in the week a minor league deal with the Brewers. Harrison Bader, I'm a fan of the guy. 
when he's on the field. He's another one who's bit by the injury bug. Certainly not a bad guy. He's 100 miles an hour. You love that. He gets picked up by the Reds. And when you look at the makeup of this Yankee season and the breakdown here with a month or so left as we're in September, as bad as it's been, you don't even have to look at the standings anymore. There's no more Yankee-centric segments here. The season's over. All right, they're going to start to get the young kids in there consistently more on that in a second, but the year's over. But now you look at this, if you want to laugh a little bit from the perspective of Donaldson uh, specifically, and then Bader, who I think was overwhelmingly liked by the Yankee fan base, certainly not the same for Donaldson. Both of them latch on with contending organizations, postseason contending organizations, while the Yankee season is in the bag. So if you're into that last laugh kind of mantra, Donaldson and Bader got it. Cincinnati's in the mix and, and Milwaukee's going to the playoffs. So as much of a problem and a black hole as Donaldson was with the Yankees, you know, his past career speaks for itself, good numbers, all-star caliber player, player just didn't work out here. And it started becoming a problem. Yankees dump him, he gets scooped up by a contender. Go figure. The other major story in Major League Baseball this week was a great one. And if you're a baseball nerd, You've never seen this before. Ronald Acuna, perhaps other than Shohei Otani, the best player in baseball, became the first 30-60 player in MLB history Thursday night against the Dodgers. Now, 30-60, meaning the first player to hit 30 home runs or more and steal 60 stolen bases or more in a season. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. When you think about and consider the massive amount of talent that toes the rubber across the league on a nightly basis, 30 dingers and 60 bags in a year. Now this guy's a stud. He's an absolute machine. We know that. That's a hell of a milestone. When you think about guys that had never done that before, it wasn't someone like a Ricky Henderson or the big base dealers who had some pop to even come remotely close to those numbers. Individually, sure, together, never happened. And it may never happen again, unless Acuna does it himself. More importantly for Acuna, he continues to pace this Braves team that is easily the best team in the bigs. And they should be considered monster favorites to win this entire thing. They are that good. And they've been that good from go this season. I mean, if you saw that Thursday night with Freddie Freeman watching him, his former teammate, where they want to ring together in Atlanta. That's pretty cool. That's pretty special. And you could be seeing a postseason, potential postseason matchup there with Atlanta and LA as well. But I love this Atlanta team. I love everything about them. They play the game the right way. They've got immense talent on both sides of the ball, led by Acuna. And if you're a fantasy guy, he's been ranked number one in fantasy baseball all, all season long. Big news for the Yankees tonight, and it's it, it, it looks like it could be viewed as a positive in an otherwise just dumpster fire of a year. Jason Dominguez, the number two prospect in the system, and Austin Wells, another one of their high, highly touted uh, prospects, a catcher, will make their MLB debuts for the Yankees tonight in Houston. Dominguez is going to bat fifth again tonight, meaning Friday for those listening live, September 1st. Dominguez will bat fifth, and he's going to play center field. Wells will be behind the plate, and he'll bat seventh. 
Now, you, you knew it was sooner rather than later that they were going to call these kids up. Peraza's up. Volpe's been up here a 2020 year for that youngster from New Jersey at the shortstop position. And man, is he a kid who's easy to root for, right? Says all the right things. You listen to him speak. He's just a regular guy who gets it. Team first. And he puts up a 2020 spot in his rookie year. But now you get Dominguez, the Martian, right? That's his nickname. Guy hits absolute missiles. And that's who the fan base has been clamoring for. So here he is. And he'll get a shot against the team, the Yankee fan base, and probably the Yankees themselves, the spots, the Houston Astros. As essential as Dominguez is to the future of this team, and he's a big part of it, Austin Wells, man, if this guy can sell it, Yankees got something here. Because I I know he was an all-star. I was never sold on Jose Trevino. Kyle Higashioka certainly doesn't do it for me. And this Ben Rorfitt stinks. There are, I, I understand that the catcher position in Major League Baseball is kind of like the center position in the NBA, right? There's a couple of really good ones. Smith, uh, Real Muto, right? You've got those big-time catchers. Rushman in Baltimore. And then that, it plateaus out. But the Yankees have had issues behind that plate, specifically from an offensive perspective. Now, the book on Wells comes is that he might not be equipped defensively. They said the same thing about Francisco Alvarez for the Mets, and the kid looks pretty damn good. So you got to be careful how much you invest in what you read before you see it with your own eyes. The bottom line is, and the non-opinion fact that I will tell you, Having seen both of these young men actually in person, they can swing the bat. And you don't have to be a Yankee fan. You just have to be a baseball fan with a set of working eyes and a slight knowledge for the game to know that the Yankees' collective problem as an organization outside of the analytics, which they recently said they're going to reevaluate, that came from the mouth of Hal Steinbrenner. Their massive problem has been offensively. This is the New York Yankees we're talking about, a team that can't hit the baseball. That's a problem. Dominguez and Wells can help settle those problems with a developing Volpe, with a developing Peraza. You'll see that tonight for the first time on the big league level, and it's pretty cool. It's been a nightmare year for the Yankees, but this is pretty cool to see these young men come up at the same time against a Houston team that's in the thick of it in the American League West. So the games matter. Wins and loss-wise, they matter more to Houston right now, who's in a race in the West. But this is a big deal to give the Yankee fans a glimpse at what they hope is a brighter future with two of their bigger-named prospects that the fan base has been screaming for. We got uh, Mike on the line. Rolling in. Mike, what's going on? Yeah, hi, Pete. How you doing? What's up? Um, I think I think obviously Cashman is going to come back. He's got four years four year contract, and I honestly think Boone is going to is going to stay. But I I think they have to revamp their analytics department. Every team uses analytics, but maybe the Yankee analytics are not good. 
you got to make changes somewhere, and that's where I think the changes are going to go. Yeah, I, I think we you kind of get the sense of, of what I was touching on um, a few moments ago with Hal Steinbrenner addressing uh, the media earlier in the week, saying that they have to reevaluate that. Not that they were going to, that they have to. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, better than never. But, I yeah. mean, this is something that probably should have really been looked at before the season with the way last year ended putting up offensive zeros when it mattered most. Right. And I don't know – I don't know how how they run the dugout. I don't know how much leeway Boone has. Did they tell him what to do all the time? Or can I will he tell you decisions? this: the, the one thing about Aaron Boone that I can verify, even having spoken to friends in the industry, is that clubhouse loves him. Yeah, the, the players absolutely love the guy because he is a freaking warrior for them. And the head scratching thing, and this is kind of where. I think Mike and I don't. I don't disagree with you. I think Brian Cashman's coming back for the same reason. Uh, Aaron Boone probably will also. The larger sample size is pretty damn good on paper for both of them. Yeah, Aaron Boone is right up at the top in the winningest uh, managers in Yankee history. Aaron Boone, from a wins loss perspective, think about that. That's a tough sell to a guy with his agent and his representation after one bad year, and it's been bad. But it's not like the team is devoid of talent. But I'm with you. That changes need to be made. I, I really, honestly, I, I, there'll be a fan base mutiny when it happens. But I think not only Cashman comes back, I'd bet the house on that. But I'd put some pretty comfortable money that Aaron Boone is back to. Yeah, I think you're right. Unless the fans go nuts and they throw chum in the water and he gets fired because of that. But I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I mean, we'll see. And I think the big news tonight is definitely now with the youngsters coming up, you want them to be cornerstones moving forward. And it's probably going to be time where, okay, if, if you're going to keep these guys around, changes need to be made analytically and then start playing these damn young kids who you never want to trade, but we somehow never get to see them in the bigs. That's true. So that can't continue anymore. And I think this might be season's over from a, a postseason perspective this might be a step in the right direction with the expansion of the rosters here they are let them play let's see what we got right so but mike as always i appreciate the call um and and it, listen again i like i had said you know previously uh talking with with, with mike and, and our past callers i don't disagree with anything there yeah it, you you'll have a situation probably where Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, you know, are right there, you know, in the mix to return next year. As long as those changes are made on the field where it matters the most, because you, you can't continue to do this lunacy where it's, all right, we made the, the one offseason splash. That was bringing back your guy and judge, right? And Rodon in the pitching department. Hasn't worked out now. The guy's been banged up. We keep reverting back to the Montas thing with Cashman. That's an oversight. That's a bad job not recognizing that someone was banged up when you go trade for him. And these are the things that make you go, hmm, or completely piss you off. When you see a team like this with the Yankees, who's supposed to be so well run and have their you-know-what together on a day-to-day -day basis, both as a business and a ball club, and it blows up in smoke right in front of your face seemingly overnight, makes you scratch your head. So it was good to hear Hal say that the Yankees will revisit the analytics department, and it's good to see Dominguez and Wells. I, I'm excited about Wells. The Yankees need help in the catcher position in the worst freaking way. And you, you want the grit and all that with Trevino? I get it. 
but it's not enough. Plus, he's been banged up the whole year. So you could be getting a very good glimpse at the future here tonight with the Yankees. Again, Dominguez uh, making his debut Friday is going to hit fifth and play center. Wells will be behind the dish, and he's going to bat seventh as they uh, finally arrive uh, in the Bronx uh, out on the West Coast for the Yankees uh, this weekend. You, you look around the rest of the league now, and we can kind of start to get into what we have left. The American League West continues to be the fun division. And this is the one you want to keep a close eye on. You have the Mariners at the top, 8-2 and two in their last 10. Over their last 25 games, they've been slaughtering people, 76-57. and 57. Virtual tie with the Astros at 77-58, and 58, who host the Yankees for a set. And then you've got the Rangers right there who have been the darling of the American League along with the Orioles all season. They're a game back at 75 and 58. Now, here's where it gets fun. It's September 1st. Season ends October 1st, a month from now. So you got basically four weeks left. The Rangers have three games left with Houston in Texas and seven remaining with the Mariners. Four of those are going to come in Seattle the last series of the regular season, September 28th to October 1st. I mean, think about how big that is. And you got the Astros playing Seattle September 25th to 27th in Seattle. So the home field stuff kind of working well late for Seattle, just the makeup of the schedule prior to the start of the season. But man, is this American League West going to be fun. A game separating the Rangers from the Astros and the Mariners. And when you look at the postseason picture, what a difference a week makes. In the American League, the Orioles are still at the top. So if the playoffs started today, they'd get the first round bye. The two seed right now is the Mariners, who would get a first round bye as well. Last week in that two spot, it was Texas. Now, if the postseason started today, your wild card round matchups would be like this. The Twins and the Rangers would be the three and the six. The four and the five would be the Rays. And the Astros. That's a pretty big change in that two spot right now with Seattle having it as the AL West leader. And a few games behind the Orioles for the outright best record in the American League. Orioles continue to play solid ball. In the National League, top two teams have been the Braves and the Dodgers. No change there. Take a look at the wild card spots as of today, September 1st. Your three-seeded Brewers have really been under the, I feel like they always are, under the radar, always in the mix. Ho-hum, good pitching, timely offense. Here they are again as the three seed right now, and they would play the six-seeded Giants. In this spot a week ago, it was the Arizona Diamondbacks. The four and the five matchup right now would be the Phillies and the Cubs. So what does this all mean? With a month left in the season, that's a look at what the playoffs would be if they began today or tonight. What that doesn't do is eliminate a handful of teams, including the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, three games out of a wild card spot, and the Reds are right there. Talk about teams like the Padres and the Yankees, done. Shouldn't even be bringing them up. It's over. It's gone. Better luck next year. But now that we're in September, you know, I mentioned last week how high I am on this D-backs team. They've had their roller coaster. They're up and down, but they've got good pitching and they've got a very, very good young core. And no one's a bigger fan of Corbin Carroll than I am. Kids developing into a future star 
five to a player. And I like this Reds team. Ellie Dela Cruz, Jonathan India, still not back. It looks like India could be back next week, which is huge for Cincy at a crucial time. So they'll get him back for that final stretch. I'll tell you what, you're if you're a baseball junkie where you could sit down like me and just flip on a sports channel, whatever comes on baseball wise, you leave it. This last month of baseball was made for you. There is going to be something on every night. And in these races now, Philly's four and a half clear as the top wild card team. You've got the Cubs, you've got the Giants. I mean, this stuff, this, this is what it all comes down to. Cubs, Giants, Marlins, D-backs are a game out. Reds are two games out. Marlins are three games back. In the American League, you can't totally eliminate the Red Sox at six and a half. Very unlikely. I'm just totally afraid to dismiss them. Toronto, obviously right there at 73 and 61, two and a half games back. And man, with that American League West shaping up, for a fight to the finish line. It's going to be one heck of a wind down in this regular season if you're a huge baseball fan. If you're in these cities, the nitty gritty is going to come get you. But it's it's going to be fun, edgy your seat stuff the last four weeks of the Major League Baseball season. With you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. Each Friday, 7 p.m. on the East Coast. We're live and all shows post to Spotify, iHeart, uh, TuneIn Radio, and Apple Podcasts, among others as well, Google and Samsung. Also, again, we, we thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Sports Today with Peter J. College football set for week one. We had the unofficial opening last week, headlined by the Notre Dame-Navy game uh, out in Dublin. Notre Dame ran all over the middies uh, in year two for Marcus Freeman. And the official week one, if you will, got kick-started last night with Utah jumping all over Florida uh, under the lights Thursday night. Utah entered the game as the 14th-ranked team in the country. Uh, first play from scrimmage, 70-yard strike for a touchdown offensively. And they didn't even have quarterback Cam Rising. Continues to battle the lingering ACL injury that he suffered in last year's Rose Bowl loss to Penn State. But here's the good news. Again, this college football start to the season is my personal favorite time of the year. As much as I love the NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, specifically the playoffs, nothing gets me going like college football. You look at this kid, Cam Rising. You come out of the gates with a big win over Florida, 24-11. Florida looked awful, by the way. Maybe they have a hangover from watching that Swamp Kings documentary, The Untold, on Netflix. By the way, I did watch that. It was terrible. I, I was not a fan. I, I, I don't know if they were trying to make a love song and a swan song for Urban Meyer. I guess they succeeded. And Tim Tebow whispering through every interview he did like he was uh, in confession in church was uncomfortable. And I'm a Tebow guy. Just whispering in sit-down interviews and an untold on Netflix. Like he, like he was apologizing for something. It, I just, if you hadn't seen it, would I watch it? Yes, because it gives you a glimpse into those 06, 07, 08. You don't get too much into the Aaron Hernandez stuff, which is good. I think we've all kind of had enough of that. Uh, but you get a glimpse into the highs and lows and really how 
the, the mental toll, say what you want about Urban Meyer, that it, it did take on him. Um, but as far as today's Florida Gators, they looked awful last night. Mistakes on both sides of the ball. Cam Rising really wasn't needed last night. Now he's 18-6 and six as a starter, and Utah goes from beating Florida. Now they're going to go to Waco and play Baylor. Tell me that's not a tough two-game stretch. But Utah looked great last night. They really did. On both sides of the ball, there was balance. Even without rising, Bryson Barnes took command under center, 159 yards and a score. I mean, this is a team that looks like it could be nationally legit. We've seen good Utah teams before beat USC twice last year, played tough in a, in a two-score loss to Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Now, this team looked good, especially up front. I was impressed with Utah last night. If you watch the game, you know what I'm talking about. But you're going to get some interesting games now moving forward the rest of the week. And the feature game, you heard some of the highlights from last year's game, uh, is going to be this top 10 bout between LSU and Florida State. All right, you got year two for Brian Kelly and Baton Rouge. Went 10-4 and four a year ago. They hammered Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. LSU ends the season 16th in the poll. Florida State, in year three a year ago under Mike Norvell, looked like they finally got it. 10-3, and three, won the Cheez-It Bowl by three over Oklahoma, ended with top 15th, ranking 11th. Now, you go back to that game a year ago. Two unranked teams, wild finish in New Orleans. Florida State wins 24-23 as they block an extra point after LSU scored on a final play of the game with no time left. Totally different scenario this time around. Totally different. Because you've got two teams who can legitimately make, and it kills me to say it about LSU, but you've got two teams that can legitimately play their way into the Final Four. So here, from my perspective, here's what you're focusing on if you watch this game Sunday night. Florida State is led by veterans, and that's what you want in the college game. They bring back a loaded core. Their quarterback, Jordan Travis, is one of the best in the country. 24 against five picks last season, 3,200 yards, ran for another 400 on the ground and seven scores. He's back. LSU brings back their quarterback, Jaden Daniels. He ran for almost 1,000 yards last year in 11 scores, threw 17 touchdowns, only three picks, efficient, and, over, and for almost 3,000 yards. So you've got two dual-threat quarterbacks going at it Sunday night in, in uh, Orlando. Now, Florida State's deep. This is where it will get interesting. Florida State's defense can push people around, especially up front. LSU's got a stud tackle, this kid named Will Campbell, who you're going to want to watch up on that offensive line. It's a veteran O-line for Florida State as well, but where I think the game comes down to from a trench perspective is up front on that Florida defensive line. Got some good edge rushers and some good second-level guys. So I think it's a trench game, even though you've got a high-powered offense potentially on both sides and an SEC defense in LSU. But I think it's a trench game, not a wild shootout on the outside. And with that, this being the game of the week, I'll go out on the limb there with LSU being a slight favorite. I do like Florida State to do this again, somewhere in the ballpark of 27-24. I think it'll be a great game. It's going to be a nice way to go into Labor Day. And it'll follow some other pretty good contests that you have 
week one. The defending champs, two-time defending champs, Georgia, open with a layup. Saturday, 6 p.m. Uh, on the East against UT Martin. Georgia might put up 70 points in that game. Penn State's going to host West Virginia as a 20-point favorite. State comes in as the number 7th ranked team in the country. That's your Saturday night game, 7.30 on NBC. North Carolina, South Carolina, it's usually a physical game. And North Carolina goes in ranked this year at 21. I like South Carolina in this game. I like him as the slight underdog at plus 2.5. That's a 7.30 p.m. on the East on ABC game Saturday. I like the Gamecocks here. I like Rattler and company to get that victory. Mac Brown, very well coached uh, North Carolina football team. I get it. I like everything about what these two teams do. Right now, I'm just going to go as good as Drake May is, the quarterback for North Carolina. Give me South Carolina in this one. Close game, good game. South Carolina covers and gets the outright. History in the making here with Notre Dame, though I'm not an overly big fan of it. Uh, the Irish will come in this week ranked 13th in the country. It's a 3.30 East Coast tip on NBC from South Bend. The Irish are going to play their first ever FCS opponent uh, in HBCU program, Tennessee State. Um, on Saturday, T uh, TSU's coached by uh, Eddie George, former Ohio State star, knows Marcus Freeman very well. Tennessee State a year ago on the FCS level, 4-7 and seven, uh, overall. Now, I'm not saying that I, I, I don't have an appreciation for what certain programs can do for others socially, financially. I get all that. But Notre Dame had the uniqueness of never playing what used to be the one double A, now the FCS level teams. It was not, they were not going to play a Samford. They were not going to play a South Dakota State. They just weren't going to do it. Even back before App State made the change, they weren't going to play an Appalachian State. They were not going to play FCS or one double A teams. And this changes now. And I and I and I get it. Believe me, I get it in the world of wokeness where you have to watch everything you say. That if you say the wrong thing here, people are gonna bring up the fact that it's an HBCU team that Notre Dame was playing. And I've gotten messages like that on social media, and it pisses me off. Because I, I get what all this means. It does nothing for Notre Dame from a football perspective. And I got news for you. At 3.30 on Saturday and sometimes on 2.30, at 2.30, that's all that matters is the football. You got a talented kid who wants to go to Florida State to play football, that's great because that school is opening the opportunity for that kid to play competitive football at Florida State, at Notre Dame, at USC, at Michigan, wherever. Laying down for something like this, I, no one's been able to give me a legitimate explanation other than what it means off the field. Quite honestly, it's a football game. I don't care what it means off the field. I could care less. There's a time and a place for that. Right? I'm, I'm Catholic. I don't run around in, imposing my Catholicism on people outside of church. Why would they have to impose their, their values of what this means to play a, a lesser conference opponent from an HBCU program when you're trying to play into a Final Four? coming off a year where you lost four games, two of them to really bad teams. I understand what they're trying to do, but Notre Dame had the uniqueness of not playing these lesser programs. Alabama does it, Georgia does it, USC does it, Florida does it, they all do it. Notre Dame didn't, it, it set them apart. 
not anymore. I have nothing against Tennessee State. I loved Eddie George. I was a I was ten years old, watching him run around at Ohio State and then into the NFL. Loved him, and he'll do a good job at this program. But I'll tell you now, from a football perspective, Notre Dame better go there and win this game by fifty freaking points. Just lay the wood. Because if you're going to play games like this and you want these layups, then you better come out of there shining. Because otherwise, it's just going to—it's going to—you're going to have egg on your face, and that's the fear here. This does nothing for Notre Dame with a win, and they're going to win tomorrow. I think sometimes you can get wrapped up in in what things might mean socially and emotionally. Well, this is a football game, and for four hours on a Saturday, that's all that should matter. If that makes me to get off my lawn guy, fine. But I I think you get a little carried away sometimes with a lot of these things. Uh, And now it it, it takes Notre Dame out of rarefied air, having never played a 1AA or FCS uh, opponent in the past. And and I I, I do think that's a big deal. It was like when they canceled the Michigan rivalry because the two universities couldn't agree financially. They get it together. Now, I understand what some things you might try to be doing. You're trying a little too hard here to be woke, in my opinion. So we'll see. That's a 3.30 kickoff from South Bend. Uh, NBC anchors the coverage there naturally. The game can also be seen for those of you uh, like myself who have the uh, Peacock app um, as well. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, by now we all know you can subscribe on uh, iTunes right here on Podbean. They do a great job. Just click in and listen. It sends you right to my website uh, where you get all the information, updates, previous shows as well. Podbean, iHeartMedia, TuneIn Radio, Samsung, Apple, Google, uh, and obviously Spotify. And you can subscribe at all times to follow Sports Today with Peter J. Even when we're not live. Uh, each Friday at 7 p.m. Ryder Cup is coming up September 29th through October 1st in Rome. Marco Simone Golf Course is going to be the host this year. And you've got the announcement of the U.S. team. We knew that was coming. So how the United States team works is you get 12 guys on the U.S. team, 12 guys on the European squad. And there are six AQs for the United States. And then you get six captain's picks. So the six captains picks, Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler, Brooks Kepler, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas. I probably don't have too many surprises there as they join the automatic qualifiers. And obviously, Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, who won the U.S. Open, Brian Harmon, uh, who won the, the Open, Pat Cantley, Max Homa, and Xander Shoffley. So that's a pretty good unit for the United States. Here's where. I file a little bit of a grievance. I thought the idea of not having both or one of Lucas Glover and Keegan Bradley on the team over the veteran Justin Thomas was was, was somewhat mind-boggling. Now, where I'll catch hell for that is the fact that Justin Thomas has been a phenomenal match player throughout his career. 6-2-1 and one at the Ryder Cup, 10-3-1, and one, I think it is, in the President's Cup, representing the United States. I get it. And he'll make his third Ryder Cup appearance this year, with the previous two being in 18 and 21. 
when you look at recency, however, who's played better consistently late when it mattered? Lucas Glover. Two of his six career wins this year. One at the Wyndham Championship in a playoff over Pat Cantley. And then he won at the FedEx St. Jude. He's got five top tens this year. And the guy is lethal from 100 yards and in. Proximity to the hole on approach shots, meaning after you tee off where the ball lands and, and you take your next shot up to the green, he's the best on tour. How's that? How, is, how are those not stats that get you on a Ryder Cup? Because what do you need in the Ryder Cup? You're going into match play. you got a team format. You've got literally the world watching you because there's no other meaningful golf taking place. And it's at a point in time where people are locked in waiting for football, baseball. They're going to watch the Ryder Cup. They always do. Non-golf fans get up for the Ryder Cup. And what do you need to be successful? you got to have a good short game and you got to hit the ball straight. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, not at a course like Marco Simone in Italy where the greens are going to be lightning quick and the rough's going to be thick. A U.S. Open caliber golf course they're going to be playing this at. And you left a guy who is basically a dart thrower from 100 and in. Conversely, look at Keegan Bradley. Two of his six career wins also came this year at the Zozo in October and at the Travelers, which is a big deal, in June. Six top tens this year. Ninth in the final FedEx Cup standings. He's ranked 18th in the world. And he's another good putter. Where Justin Thomas has zilch this season, three top tens, no wins, 71st in the FedEx Cup, and 26th in the OWGR. And, and the past history for Zach Johnson, the captain of this team, to take Justin Thomas for match play makes sense. My argument is wouldn't you want one or two of the guys, and perhaps that would mean take Bradley, take Glover, leave off Thomas and a Sam Burns. Because quite honestly, other than winning the match play, Sam Burns got two top tens. He hasn't done much. And the match play was back in March. That's yesteryear with how this season has gone. I would want the hot guys going in, right? How many times we see in sports, and I'm a diehard New York Giants fan, I'll use them as the example. Their last two Super Bowls, 08 and 12, Giants got hot down the end of the regular season. It carried them into the playoffs and the rest is history. They hoist the trophy, two MVPs for Eli Manning. Wouldn't you want the hot player going into an event like this, the biggest team event in the sport, maybe in all of sports, on this stage, as opposed to a guy who's, quite honestly, he's been brutal. Justin Thomas has been brutal this season. There's no way around it. What he's done in the Ryder Cup, President's Cup, cannot be erased. You're talking about an all-time great there, and he's a generational talent, Keegan. Bradley said that himself. You've got Colin Morikawa on this team. Until lately, he wasn't playing great. He was a fringe guy. He needed that tour championship run to make this team. Spieth, I get. You'll probably see him paired up with Justin Thomas. And I think the selection of Burns there from a match play perspective, I think it's an appetizing thing for Zach Johnson to say, hey, I might be able to take this 27-year-old Ryder Cup rookie and pair him with a guy like Sky Scheffler. But I, I, it's, it's a tough sell for me not to be convinced that, quite honestly, that I'm right here, that Lucas Glover or Keegan Bradley or both should be on this U.S. Ryder Cup team. And for Keegan Bradley to say, yeah, I think moving forward, because maybe I'm not one of those highly sought-after guys, I'm just going to have to automatically qualify. Well, yeah, that's an easy way to do it. But for Keegan Bradley's perspective, there's also six captain picks. He should have been one of them. He should have been picked over Burns 
and you could have taken Glover over Thomas. You're going to have rookies no matter how you slice it. Why not take the two guys who are playing at the top of their game when it matters? We're into the fall. This is where it matters for Ryder Cup. This thing is four weeks away. And you got guys with two immense short games, two guys who want to be there. They're going to be watching from home. So that's just my two cents on it. I know some will agree. I know most will disagree because they want Justin Thomas on that team. And I get that too. Just for me, give me recency over seniority, right? Even in the workplace. I'm not a seniority guy. If somebody does the job better, I don't care how long they've been there. Give them the job. I thought we would use that mindset with Zach Johnson and company with the Ryder Cup. Bradley is playing well. Let's get him. Glover is playing well. We're going to get him. Didn't work out that way. European team, you got four locks already. So Captain Luke Donald's going to make his uh, captain picks uh, in the coming days. And when you look at who Team Europe's got confirmed, Rory, Rom, Hovland, and Hatton. All right. Fleetwood's going to be on this team. Robert McIntyre's probably going to be on this team. And we'll see where Luke Donald goes with his captain's pick. Uh, Seb Straka, Shane Lowry, perhaps he goes um, similar to the train of thought that Zach Johnson went. Does he grab a Justin Rose? Uh, on the world point list, I think Rose is eighth or ninth right now. I would Matthew Fitzpatrick is in the mix for this thing. You would have to think he'll be one of those picks. I mean, how that rolls out the top ten in the world points list for Europe: McElroy, Rom, Hovland are, are three. Hatton's the fourth. They're your qualifiers. Then it's Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Straka, Lowry, Rose, McIntyre. But you got some guys who are going to make noise in there. Um, who could perhaps throw a wrench into this thing. Yannick Paul has played well uh, on the DP this year. Uh, Victor Perez is still not out of the mix here. Uh, Adrian Otagi. They're, they're, you, know, you, you, you know the Fleetwoods of the world are going to be on the team, and I would venture to say that somebody like Robert McIntyre also would be too. But it's going to be very interesting to see what European captain Luke Donald does um, over the next week or so when he announces uh, what his team is going to be. It's going to be a fun Ryder Cup regardless. It usually is outside of the smatterings we've had a couple times. Uh, there, there's been European dominance. There's been U.S. dominance. Um, I, I think we might be getting closer to that level playing field, though you probably are giving the advantage to the U.S. here. Though right now the Europeans do possess the hottest player in the world in Victor Hovland. So it's certainly going to be interesting, and Europe is the host, right? They're going to be all geesed up in Italy for this Ryder Cup um, once it comes calling at the end of the month, and I, I think it's going to be a good one. So from the top down, that was kind of just my two cents um, on what the United States train of thought was there with Captain Zach Johnson. And, of course, you can always send me messages, Sports Today with Peter J, at Sports Today with Peter J on Instagram. Uh, many of you continue to send messages and reach out. It's great. We're loading up with some guest spots that uh, I'd like to have coming up, especially with the NFL season uh, on the horizon. And uh, that's where we are. And certainly, as this Ryder Cup uh, creeps closer, uh, we will definitely keep you abreast with what is going on um, from the Ryder Cup perspective as well. About quarter to eight 
on this Friday, September 1st, Sports Today with Peter J. Uh, in addition to all of this lunacy going on with the Ryder Cup announcements and the MLB playoff races, over in Queens, at the U.S. National Tennis Center, you got the U.S. Open going on. And everyone is clamoring for a rematch on the men's side between the top-seeded Alcaraz and number two Novak Djokovic. I mean, that men's final at Wimbledon, the five-setter was phenomenal. You'd seen Alcaraz run out of gas after cramping up in French, and then he just got the best of Joker after falling down early. Coming into this tournament, when they released the bracket, you go all the way down to the bottom, and you see number two Novak Djokovic. But let's look at his path. It was brutal. Some of the guys he would have to run through if he wanted to get back to the final for a rematch with Alcaraz, who has the top seed, had an immensely easier path to the final. And wouldn't you know it, Novak Djokovic, potential matchup with number four, Holger Rooney. He's gone. He loses in round one. Would have had a potential matchup with Asperud from Norway. He's gone. He lost in round two. And then the one that I was the most fearful of because of the way Djokovic got beat at Wimbledon to Alcaraz in the power department, which is what Novak relies on. Again, he's 34 years old now. Stefanos from Greece. Wicked forehand. Kevin He's gone. He lost in round two. So there are three major roadblocks who could have potentially been standing in the way of Novak Djokovic getting to the U.S. men's final. They're gone. And that clears the path you would think for the Joker to get back to the promised land and potentially get another crack at this Spanish youngster. And if you're a tennis nut, I mean, there was nothing better than watching that five-step Wimbledon final. And how great that was. A glimpse at what Djokovic can still bring but his past glory, and then a flash forward to what the future holds for. Because right? we've had the golden age here with Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. Future looks pretty damn good. I mean, Tsitsipas will get it together. His forehand is just too electrifying for him not to find the balance with the backhand in the service game. To not be a player moving forward. He's too good. Casper Root as well. They're just too good. Right now, it's Alcaraz's world. Everybody's living in it, but jo jo uh, the Joker's knocking at the door. And I'll tell you what's cool about this tournament on the ladies' side. How about Caroline Wozniacki? 33 years old, making a return to championship tennis, and she's into round four. Knocks out American Jennifer Brady, who was also coming back from an absence in three sets. And Wozniacki in round two, all she had to do was knock off Petra Gavitova. The 11th seed, and another preeminent force in ladies' tennis. So, sure, well, we're all excited about potentially seeing Carlos and Novak in the men's final. Let's take a look at what we've got going on on the ladies' side. You got Jessica Pagula into round three. She's gonna play Alina Zvitolina, not easy. Hans Jaber into round three. Is gonna play Marie Buzkova, not easy. We know how good Jaber's been. Coco Goff plays Friday for those listening against Elise Mertens, again. These are brutal matches, and you're into the third round here. Top seed, as you as should be, Iga Svatek. She's into round four. 
and Arena Sabalenka is the, the two seed. You know, I, I went with Goff at Wimbledon and I got burned and she lost in the first round. In through round three, now I like Coco Goff playing on her home turf. I'm going to do it again. Jessica Pagula, enjoy watching her. So much balance for Pagula if you watch her game, specifically on that baseline. I think this is a Goff-type tournament. And if anybody can get past uh, Zvantek, I think it might be someone like a Coco Goff, specifically playing on her home turf. But now you got to pay attention. Wozniacki's got that groove, and she knows how to win. She's back and playing like this. This is a hell of a U.S. Open. I think I'm more excited about the ladies' side than I have even the men. Now, ask me that question again if we get that dream final between the Spaniard and the Joker. Because that, I mean, to get that twice in a Grand Slam season is remarkable. You can think about all those Wimbledons Roger Federer won with the gracefulness he brought to the grass courts and some of the titans he had to knock down. And Nadal just finessing his way with that beautiful backhand on the clay at Roland Garros. You get Alcarez and Joker in New York City in the U.S. Open men's final. Come on, that's Super Bowl type stuff. And with the draw getting a little easier, we could very well get that. So we'll definitely, uh, without a doubt, uh, keep an eye there. NFL news as we start to wind down the program here on this beautiful Friday night. Mike Evans could be playing his final season with the Bucs this year if an extension is not worked out. Uh, and it's amazing to me. He's going, it's future Hall of Famer, he's going for his 10th straight since he came into the league. 1,000-yard receiving season. That's unbelievable. And if they could work this out, they'll keep him in town. If he doesn't get the extension, he might just retire. So that's the news coming out of Bucks world uh, with the season starting uh, this upcoming week. Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon said this week that he's not going to name a starter at quarterback, which is significant. Uh, Kyler Murray's reportedly going to miss the duration of the, the, the season due to ongoing ACL issues. He's at least going to miss the first four games because they put him on the pup list. But Gannon not going to name a starter between recently acquired Joshua Dobbs and rookie Clayton Tooney. And he says he's not going to do that for competitive purposes. So we're pretty much going to get down to the 11th hour before we probably know who the, uh, the starting quarterback outside of Kyler Murray will be for the Arizona Cardinals. New York Giants unveiled their um, or released their 53-man roster, as many teams did. I, I don't think there were too many surprises there. They're going to carry two quarterbacks, Dan Jones and Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Tommy DeVito goes to the practice squad. The four running backs, I think maybe... You know, what were you going to do there with James Robinson? Gary Brightwell brings uh, some solid play on special teams. He gets the fourth running back spot. Eric Gray, the rookie fifth-round pick out of Oklahoma, looks like he's going to be returning uh, kicks. And then, obviously, you have Saquon Barkley and Matt Breida. Uh, Giants elected to keep six wide receivers. Isaiah Hodgins, Slayton, Paris Campbell, rookie Jalen Hylett. Wandale Robinson has been activated. He's ready to roll, as has Sterling Shepard, who makes the team. Um, so interesting thing there, uh, no Cole Beasley for the Giants. Colin Johnson also was waived uh, in that department as well. Up front, you know, you got Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal on the outside. I think Matt Pert scares the crap out of you. I was surprised he got the nod at the tackle spot, along with Shane Lemieux at the guard position. Um, you got Tyree Phillips on the practice squad. I wouldn't be surprised to see him sooner rather than later because, folks, quite honestly, Pert and Lemieux have been awful. And uh, John Michael Schmidt 
Uh, Schmitz is going to be the starting center. The rookie from Minnesota, Ben Bredesen, will back him up. Bredesen, who I actually like, will probably be one of the starting guards um, unless Lemieux beats him out because you'd expect Mark Glowinski uh, to have one of the starting guard spots as well. Giants defense looks pretty good as they continue to beef up. Uh, they got good edge rushers. Bobby Okereke coming in to play the linebacker position with Micah McFadden. Isaiah Simmons is here now. Uh, Adoree Jackson, Deion Banks, Trey Hawkins, the rookie at uh, Old Dominion, uh, who has looked good. This is a Giants team that's going to rely certainly um, on the arm and legs of Daniel Jones and then the balance that Saquon Barkley can bring in, in the run in the pass game. But I don't think there were too many surprises, perhaps leaving off linebacker Darian Beavers, who signs on, uh, on the practice squad. Uh, might have been a bit of a head-scratcher at first. Uh, James Robinson getting cut, Gary Brightwell making the team. But overall, I think this was uh, pretty status quo for the Giants uh, as they get close to opening September 10th, Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys at MetLife Stadium. The season kicks off overall Thursday, September 7th. Defending champion Chiefs host the upstart Detroit Lions. Uh, that'll be an NBC uh, Thursday night uh, clash. There's going to be plenty more on uh, STWPJ, folks, in the in the weeks to come, obviously, beginning next Friday, September 8th. We'll do a little recap of the Chiefs-Lions game. Each week, I'll give you my outright picks for every game on the NFL schedule, including my big three. And I call it the big three because of a pick'em pool I'm in, where I pick three winners in this pool each week, no spread, just to win the game outright. Lose, you're out. Win, you advance. So every week, I'm going to give you my picks for every single game, and that's going to include the picks I make myself for my pool where I have three lines each week, and I try to pick three different teams. So I'll let you know uh, how that's going to go next week and who I'm rolling with uh, for week one. want to thank everybody for listening this week, sending me messages. Again, uh, you can subscribe on all platforms, iHeartRadio, Samsung, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, um, and you can send me messages uh, and like the content on Instagram and at Sports Today with Peter J. We're here every Friday live at 7 p.m., and that is precisely uh, where I will see you next weekend, right from this chair as we get ready to ring in week one of the NFL season and continue on with this chaos that's developing in the Major League Baseball playoff race and, of course, with college football underway. It was another great show. Folks, thanks again. I'll see you all next Friday, same time, same place, right here on Podbean Live Sports Today with Peter J. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll talk to you next week. And as always, go Irish. Sports Today with Peter J.